Hello, Paris Valley. I am Michael Flynn, and it is my joy to preach to you this morning. If you want to check in your Bibles, go to Mark chapter 4. That's where we're going to be today. Um, today, I am going to be, uh, well, I was given the task of talking about what not being all in looks like, or maybe halfway in, whatever it is, not all in. Um, and so there will be moments where it might get a little bit hard because, well, if you're not all in, there are problems that comes with that. Um, but I promise I will give you hope as well. Um, so let's start by reading our word. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Again, he, being Jesus, began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things and parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing, yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, Let he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? See, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when, sorry, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while, then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it 
and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So we, we get four pictures of different kinds of people that receive the word. But first, let's deal with this middle section. Uh, chapter 4, verse 10 through 13, because it's kind of sticky and it's kind of hard to understand. And if you're reading it at first sight, you know, at best case scenario, it sounds like Jesus is keeping secrets. In the worst case scenario, Jesus doesn't even want people to be forgiven. And so let, let's deal with this and clear this up. First, let's, let's understand this, this scene. Jesus is starting out with a very large crowd, bunch of people, so many so that he has to get in a boat just so he could get some distance so everyone can hear what he's saying. But after a certain amount of time, like there's this parable, and then after there's several more parables, and Jesus is only speaking to them in parables. And at some point, people just start leaving to the point that in verse 10, it says, and when he was alone, when Jesus was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about parables. And so it's not like Jesus was being uh, exclusive in the way that these people aren't allowed to hear this explanation and aren't allowed to hear more that will help them understand, but rather Jesus is being exclusive to the people who actually want to be there for Jesus, who are actually there to learn what Jesus is, is saying and teaching. Because at the time, most of those people there, they were there for Jesus, but more than that, they were there for to get something out of Jesus. And so these are the ones who stayed behind. And Jesus, he, he doesn't just uh, give them insider information. Verse 11 says, To you has been, have been given the secret of the kingdom of God. So for those who are staying, and it's not just the 12 disciples, it's those around him and the 12 disciples, just anyone who wanted to stay and listen and learn, they got secrets of heaven. And so it's, it's this that we're about to read to really understand, like, what was this parable about? In verse 13, Jesus said, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? Because really, uh, if this parable is uh, a lesson on how to farm Jesus isn't doing a very good job because he's just grabbing seed and chucking it like they would back in the Middle East, you know? If Jesus was really trying to tell people how to farm, maybe you talk about irrigation. But the people there weren't understanding that Jesus was talking about spiritual realities. And so all of these are about spiritual realities and explicitly about the kingdom of God. So let's get into the the parable. Verse 14. The sower that's sowing the word 
isn't just sowing seed. He's sowing the word. That's, that's the word of God. Or even if you've read John chapter 1, that's, that's Jesus is the word made manifest. So it's Jesus is being the one sown out. God's word is the thing that's being sown out. And then these different soils or this, these different grounds are representing different people's hearts, different people's lives. So verse 5, we see the first person who's probably the furthest from being all in because it seems like they're not in at all. Verse 5, And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Now, Satan doesn't have the power to strip people salvation. And Satan doesn't have uh, this supernatural ability to be at all places at all times, wherever the gospel is being spread. But rather, I think Satan here is just doing what Satan always does. Satan is being a deceiver. See, I think what this is talking about is all those people that hear the gospel, that hear the good news of what God has done, and immediately they think, that's foolishness. That's stupid. There's no such thing as spiritual realities, or there's no such thing as a God. Those are the things that Satan has done. He's taught culture how to think in ways that makes them naturally respond to the gospel negatively. Big lies like atheism, where there is no God at all. Polytheism, where there's really just different gods everywhere. And even lies that are as bad as even if God is there, he isn't good, or he doesn't want you. These are the things that makes people reject the gospel right off the bat. So let me give you just a bit of hope. See, where we probably think by default that either we have to earn our salvation, or if we tried, God wouldn't give us life or new salvation or anything like that. Or maybe God just wants to see people go to hell. Let me throw all that under the bus and show you just something pretty powerful in Ezekiel. Ezekiel's just a, uh, it's a prophet. He was a prophet who talked to Israel, and Israel was a very stubborn people at this time, to the point where they were rejecting God even in his own house. And God even left his own temple just because his people there were worshiping idols. And just, they were so foul and fiendish, and they were just doing so many bad things. And when God was judging them for it and saying, turn back to me, these people just kept saying, all these things are happening to us, not because we're sinners, nothing like that, but because our fathers sinned and our grandfathers sinned, and it's all their fault. 
But God says, it doesn't matter what your daddy did, and it doesn't matter what your mom did, it didn't matter what your granddaddy did. What matters is what you do here and now. And here at the end of chapter 18 in Ezekiel, God says this, Repent and turn from all your transgression, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you've committed, all the rules you've broken, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Do you hear that? God does not desire the death of anyone, but desires all people to be saved and to hear of the good news of Christ. So for those of you who have never heard the gospel or have only rejected it at first sight, know that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son so that you could have eternal life. God doesn't desire anyone to die. Otherwise, he probably wouldn't have come down in flesh to die on a cross for our sin and our problems. Now, the second landscape, the second uh, kind of people, they're also not all in. We're looking at verse 16 now. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. Then, when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. I don't know if you've ever seen this in your, in your life and you see someone start going to church and they're excited and they go to all the events and they think it's cool and then they disappear. This happens all the time and it's, it's a sad reality. And the scary part about this and the other positions of being all, not all in is these are spiritual realities and we can't just look at other people or our lives and necessarily say, ah, I'm rocky ground, there's no hope for me. Rather, this is a spiritual re reality that God knows and understands. But for us, let's self-evaluate. This person, they are the seed, or God's word is the seed that plants in this rocky ground where there's no root. There's no, there's no deep roots that will last and live. And specifically, it's roots in the Word of God. Think of it kind of like this. Imagine uh, you fall in love with some girl and uh, she says, I love you, and um, I, I'll, I'll marry you, and this is just what I'm for. But then her mom and her brother say, 
don't go there. If you go there, I will leave you. Or that guy, I heard he did such and such, and he's actually a bad guy. And without ever coming to you and getting that sense of, this is who this person is, this is what he's about, she just leaves. That is this person who isn't rooted in the character of God. Rather, they hear something nice like, if you say these words, you get to go to heaven and you get all these benefits with all this family. But let me tell you, if you have never been broken by the word of God, if you've never been rooted in and read God's word, it is likely that when trials and tribulation come, especially when people start challenging the Bible in front of you, you might fall away. Psalms, uh, the very beginning of Psalms actually says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. Root yourself in God's word and you will endure. If you are not rooted in God's word, there is no way that you can be all in. One more picture of not being all in. And to me, this is uh, the hardest and the most common. And really, this is what I see in all sorts of churches everywhere. And really, I've seen this in my life. Let me read it. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Let's break these down. These things make it so you just aren't fruitful. The cares of the world. That's where am I going to live? That's what am I going to eat? What kind of clothes am I going to wear? How do I fit into society? What are people going to think about me? Those cares of the world can distract you and make you unfruitful. The deceitfulness of riches is also one of those things where I'll just tell you straight out, if you're buying lottery tickets or scratchers, what you are doing is you are hoping that just this amount of money will make your problems go away. Your hope is in riches. Or even if you are working 60, 70 hours a week and you are not seeing your family and you don't have time to build relationships because you need this certain level of lifestyle to be fulfilled, that is a lie. 
Your problems won't go away once you have more money. That's just a deception of the world. Lastly, and probably the most vast and possible, and where a lot of us probably are, the desires for other things enter in and choke the world. Choke the word. He's not saying the desires for drugs, alcohol, and sex choke the word, though that's also true. But just the desire for things. Now, I, I have just been on a uh, vacation break between school, COVID, I can't even go out that much. And so really, I just got stuck in this cycle where I had so many desires where I just, I wanted to watch this TV show and that TV show and I wanted to binge that. But I also wanted to play these games. And so then whenever I got bored with my games, I'd watch TV. Whenever I got bored with my TV, I'd watch, play games. I even want Facebook and Google to listen to my conversations so that my ads will be tailored to the things that I want so that I can desire more things. I'm telling you, our desires can get so loud to where we can't hear God's calling on our lives. I think there's a lot of us here listening that are stuck in that space where you might actually be doing like everything right. Reading the Bible, spending time with your family, but for some reason you're just not fruitful. You're not, you're not being that life-giving person and you're not bringing people into relationship with Christ and you just don't know why. Let me tell you why. You've got desires all out of whack. Your hope is either in getting riches, or you're too worried about survival, or you're too obsessed with your TV shows, or your cars, or soccer, or ESPN, or whatever. People are desirous. We've got so many desires. But those desires make you blind to your calling. At the end of that verse, it says that these things proves us unfruitful. See, what, what Jesus is doing here is he's marking what a kingdom member is as fruitful. Verse 20 says, But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. 30, 60, 100 fold. It's not that complex. I think uh, oftentimes a lot of us get stuck thinking that we need to have a certain level of skill or capability or some sort of supernatural gifting that is just so uh, powerful, and if I only had that, then I would be able to lead people to Christ and do all these things that God wants me to do. 
But Jesus is being way more simple than that. He's just saying those who hear the word and accept it and then move, bear fruit. The problem is most of us are still stuck with our desires. Or perhaps none of us are actually in love with God's word and we just haven't touched that yet. Or in the case, we've never really heard the gospel and never really accepted it like we should have. But this, this parable is kind of a circle because it starts off by talking about this sower who sows the word and it ends with this plant that is sowing more word, bearing fruit. See, the, the thing about life is like life reproduces. That's, that's just what's normal and natural in life. So I think the main point of this whole parable is really this. Sowers who sow, sowers, are God's people. Or, or something that you might have heard before is disciple makers make disciples who make disciples. Or uh, more of this uh, analogy, grain that grows spreads seeds of grain that grows. That is what we are called to. That is what it is to live all in. I'm telling you, if you are perhaps, you think, I'm just in this place of depression. I can't handle dealing with other people and their problems and and trying to evangelize because I'm trying to work out my own stuff because I just can't get over things. See, at the start of first john um, just in those first like four verses he's talking about uh, how him being in fellowship with the father and the son and bringing other people into fellowship with him and the father and the son is where he gets joy Uh, verse three and four actually read um, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is just added incentive for you. When you are bearing fruit, when you're seeing people come to Christ, when you're seeing lives transformed, you get joy. That's where real joy comes from. That's the full life. That's the living all in gives you this joy. And if you're not sold saying, maybe I'm just not, I'm just not capable, you wouldn't necessarily be alone. See, in this passage, uh, the disciples, they, they hear all of Jesus's parables like that one, a lamp under a basket, parable about seed growing, parable of the mustard seed, and there's all these parables about the kingdom of God and these spiritual truths and about God, how God is going to use these people for his kingdom. And then after all of that, Jesus, 
uh, it says, we got to go to the other side, and leaving the crowd, he took with them, uh, he took the disciples with him in a boat. And here we are in uh, verse 37 in chapter 4. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was ready, was already filling. But he was in the stern. Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And if you've ever preached or taught all day, you'd understand my poor pastor at Hope in the Valley Baptist Church. He preaches three sermons back to back, and all he can do is get home, eat food, and take a nap. Jesus is in that same state. He's just tired. He gets in this boat. He crashes. And the disciples said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And uh, he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And Jesus said to them, this is very curious and very strange, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, if I was one of the disciples, I would be thinking, I don't have faith. We're going to die in a boat and we need your help. (laughs) But this is what Jesus was thinking when he said, do you have no faith? This whole time, Jesus has been talking about how he's going to use his people, how they're going to multiply and bear so much fruit, and it's going to grow so big. And he's going to use these individuals. And they genuinely thought that none of that would happen because they're going to die in a boat in a storm. I guess what they didn't fully understand is that Jesus would give them power, and he would be with them and give them his spirit to do all of this work and do all the hard work of really changing lives. Even in Matthew 28, Jesus said, I will be with you till the end of the age as you go off and bear fruit and make disciples. So let me conclude with with this. Living all in here in this context, this right here, living all in is bearing fruit and being undistracted by everything else. Now, let me pray for you. God, we love you. Somehow we believe that you're going to use us in incredible ways. Somehow you're going to use us to Uh, multiply 30 and 60 and 100 fold. So God, as we are trying to figure out how you're going to use us and figuring out our individual callings, would you be near us? And would you be the one giving us the strength? God, we love you and we thank you and we believe your word. Amen.